one of the things that is crystal clear about the Apostle Paul is that he wasn't playing at the game of religion. For him, Christianity was not something that he participated in and among many other things that he participated in in his life. No, Christ was everything to him. Christ, he said, who is our life. And that was Paul's heart, was to know the Lord, to be joined to the Lord, to be found in the Lord, to pursue the Lord. It was all about the Lord. And this, this is something that as you grow in Christ, you will begin to see still more and more as the Lord weans you off of the things of this world. He will call you and has called you up into himself where he becomes the very focal point of the whole of your life. And you're saying, what are you saying? I need to become a pastor. I need to become a missionary. I need to become a nun. No, I'm not saying any of those things, none of them. What I am saying to you is this, that everyone who is in fact saved by Christ is also sanctified by Christ and grows into Christ's likeness. This is the very thing that Paul is speaking of in the passage that we just heard read. Paul had found justification. He'd been declared not guilty. He had known a righteousness given from God as a gift through faith that he could not earn himself, and he knew that he was justified, that he was stood righteous before God positionally. He also knew that those who are justified will in the end be glorified. The question is, what do we do in the meantime? And Paul is helping us understand in this passage what we are to do. And he says we are to pursue sanctification. Now that is a big word, it's a 50 cent theological term, but it's a term that each one of us should know and understand. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time at it, but if you could hang on to these two things. There is a sense in which sanctification is something that's already happened to you through faith in Christ. You have been set apart, made holy, positionally, you are in the Son, and therefore you have been set apart through faith in Christ unto God. That is a positional statement that's already happened when you believed in Christ and the Holy Spirit was given to you at salvation. There is another sense, and that is the sense in which it's primarily being used or talked about here in our passage, that to be sanctified is a call that God is giving to each one of his children to grow and to strive for holiness in this life. We were justified through faith in Christ. We will be glorified, and there is an upward call of Christ Jesus, of God in Christ Jesus, to grow in the likeness of Christ himself. God is dedicated to do this very thing in your life if you know the Lord. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to be like him. I want to see my life change so that when people look at me, what they see is Christ. I want to be like the one who saved me. Now, last week, we listened to Paul's very personal expression of his Christian experience, and we learned three things. You remember that he employed the language of, of, of the Greek athletic games, and he talked about his life as, as his Christian life as a race. And he said he was like a runner in the race and he was striving to, to, to win. He was striving to attain the goal that God had called him to. So I want to come back just by way of review and, and, and think this through. Picture Paul, if you will, with me this morning, a runner in running shorts and a tank top with nice light shoes on and he is, he is sprinting. He is making his way in this long journey. He is striving to attain the goal for which he has been set apart. And there is, perhaps you've seen it like in a bike race where they'll, they'll have a motorcycle and they'll have some re reporter with a, with a camera on the back and they're filming the riders. Well, here we have a, 
a woman seeking to, riding on the back of a motorcycle, and she is seeking with her microphone to interview the Apostle Paul. And she says to him, Paul, you're running hard. Can you slow down a bit? And he says to her, no, I'm running long and I'm running hard in this race. And I have not yet arrived at my destination. I haven't gotten to the goal. A lot of the course is behind me. I've climbed a lot of hills. I've pursued a lot of people and I have overtaken them. And there have been many good moments, many moments I was exhausted, many moments I struggled to run. But I'm forgetting all of that and I am pressing on towards a goal and I'm not there yet. And so no, I can't really slow down to talk. I'm on the move. She says, well, if I can interview you then while you're running, how do you do it day after day? Paul says, as he's winded, he, he says to her, uh, I'm very narrowly focused. I, I'm not thinking about a bunch of things. I'm disciplined and I am undistracted and I am focused really on one thing and one thing only, and that is that I am aiming to get to the goal, which is conformity to the likeness of Christ. That is my fundamental drive in life. Paul, what are you about? Why are you running? Because I want to get to the goal which I've been called to, which is likeness to the one who saved me. Well, do you have any other advice for others running this race? What could you tell them as they seek to run? What's your approach? And he says, yes, I have a strategy every day. Every day I do three things. I forget what lies behind me. I'm, I'm forgetting the good. I'm forgetting the bad. I'm not thinking about that. I don't have yesterday. What I have is today. What I have is now. I'm pursuing. Secondly, I'm reaching forward to what is ahead. And that was that language again of leaning out towards the tape. He was everything forward, nothing backward. I press on, he says, toward the prize. I pursue that upward call. The Christian life is, is well described as a race. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're a runner. You're not a spectator. You're in the race. And you have been called to the same things that Paul has been called to. And Paul says, look, I'm running hard after Jesus, and I'm running hard after the prize of the upward call of Christ. I want to know him. Now think with me, I want to be empowered with the kind of resurrection power that was demonstrated in Jesus. I want that power in my life so that I can overcome sin in my pursuit of being like Jesus who was sinless. He says beyond that, I want to be like him in his suffering. And you say, why would you want to be like Christ in his suffering? Well, you see, it was in Christ's suffering, not simply on the cross, but throughout his life as he sought to, to live faithfully before his God, to earn the very righteousness that he would then give to us through faith. Jesus spent his life resisting sin, and that's what's on Paul's mind. Is he, he says, I want to be conformed to the sufferings of Christ Peter put it this way, that that kind of suffering is to cease from sin. 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. You get ready to do the very same thing. Why? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Beloved, do you see that, that it matters to God how we live? You were not saved simply to go to heaven, but continue on a worldly sinful pattern in this life. No, you were saved, yes, to go to heaven, but also you were saved from sin. And not just the penalty of sin, but also its power over you. And ultimately, in the end, from its presence at all, when we will be with Christ in heaven and sin will be no more. But that means striving in this life. So Paul wants to be conformed to that kind of suffering, the suffering that comes as we resist temptation, as we resist sin. 
Christ's sufferings on the cross were his and his alone. He alone suffered so as to provide redemption for his people. Paul's not saying, I want to suffer like Christ that way. There's nothing left to be done for our redemption. But what he's saying is, I want to be, I want to fill up the sufferings of Christ in the sense that, that peop, the, this world and the devil are still taking wax at Jesus. They just can't get to him. So they come at us full blazes. And, and Paul says, I need power to resist that. And I need to be one who suffers just as Christ did in seeking to live a righteous life. Now, we come to the conclusion today, at least I had hoped to, but we're not going to get there. Surprise, surprise. And, and, and we're going to continue to utilize Paul's analogy of running this race in the Greek games. So after giving us his fundamental approach, Paul's got a few more summary pieces of advice for aspiring runners. He's building really on his counsel to forget what lies behind, to reach forward, to press on toward the prize. And he says, look, if you want to live a sanctified life in the likeness of Christ, if you want to grow in Christian maturity, you must first aim at growth. And before we get into this, I want to again look to the Lord and ask for his help. Father, I pray for clarity. We ask for understanding. We pray that your spirit might illumine your word. Lord, that you might make it abound to the good of our souls. And all of this for your glory. Amen. If you want to live a sanctified life in the likeness of Christ, Paul has yet further counsel for you. And the first thing is this, verse 15 You must aim at growth. You've got to have a mindset that is seeking to grow in Christ, to be something that you're not today, to to further your efforts at being like Christ. Look at verse 15. Let us, therefore, Paul is turning a corner. He's coming to a conclusion. He uses the word therefore. He's thinking of application. What does this mean for us, Paul? He says, look, in light of all that I've been saying, let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Now, that might be really confusing because Paul just said what? I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived at that yet. So how can he now say as many as are perfect? Well, the key to that is in understanding that that word for perfect can mean different things and is used in different ways in the scriptures. In verse 12, he used this word perfect, teleos, in an absolute sense. When he says in verse 12, Not that I've already become perfect. You'll note that he says that on the heels of verse 11 where he said that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's looking forward to that day and he's saying God has given me a call to be like Christ and I haven't arrived yet. I'm not at the ultimate consummation of my salvation, my redemption. One day I will see Christ, and when I see him, I will be made like him. Paul says, I haven't arrived at that point yet. Here he uses the same word, teleos, but in its more common usage, not to refer to the perfection of God, not to refer to the perfection that the believer will find in glory, but here he simply uses it, as it's most often used in Scripture, to refer to maturity, to maturity, as opposed to infancy or immaturity or childishness. I'll just take a brief tour through a few passages and show you this common usage. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. Note the contrast again. Paul says, brethren... Do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be teleos. In your thinking be mature. 
don't think like a child. When it comes to evil, I want you to be innocent like a child is innocent. That's a good thing. That's a good way to be childish. That's a good thing to be ignorant of is evil. But in your thinking, you shouldn't be children anymore. Don't be children in the way you think, but instead think so as to be not perfect, but mature. Think so as to be a mature man. Look over at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. As a result, Paul is speaking here about those that the Lord has given to his church to preach and to teach, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. And he says, what's the aim of all of that? Well, here's the aim. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. That's the goal, that we would grow up as a church to be mature, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, by way of contrast, we are no longer to be what? Children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the crafting, craftiness and deceitful scheming. No, we're not like that. We're not children anymore. We're not those who, who are tossed here and there. We're not those who are distracted and naive and easily deceived like kids are. No, we're mature men. We speak the truth in love, he says in verse 15, and we grow up. In all aspects, unto him who is the head, even Christ. You get the sense of this. Let me give you one more place. Turn to the book of Hebrews and chapter 5. Hebrews 5 and verse 13. Actually, we'll pick up in verse 12. Ah, Maybe even verse 11. Here we go. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Anyone who's parented understands what dull of, parent, uh, dull of hearing means. Yes, you get that. The writer of the Hebrews is not about to compliment his readers. He says, you become dull of hearing, for by this time you ought to be teachers, though you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. What's he saying? You're children. You're children. You're adult children. <laughs> By this time, you should have grown up in Christ, and you ought to be able to teach and lead others. But no, the reality of the situation is you're dull of hearing. And you need to go back to elementary school. You need to be given your ABCs all over again. You need to go back to a bottle because we cannot feed you solid food. Listen, if you ever wanted to be part of a church where they never said those kinds of things to you, you never wanted to be part of a church that the New Testament teaches a church is like. You with me? Those are hard words, but they are words designed to grow up the immature in a congregation. And he says, look in the mirror. You're sucking your thumb. Verse 14, but solid food is for, and here's our word, the teleos, the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They've been taught and they've been trained and they are people who now are mature. They've been grown up under Christ and, and, and that's what you should be and that is what you are not. So when Paul says, as many as are perfect, we are to have this attitude, he's talking to the Philippians about those who are, in fact, mature in Christ. They are grown up in the faith. And Paul aligns himself with them. He says, let us, therefore, as many as are mature, and I'm, I'm one of them among you. Now, who are the mature? Well, in our text, it would be those clearly genuine believers who are strong and stable in their faith and were not given to the false teaching of the Judaizers, those religious hucksters 
who have said that Christ is not enough. That didn't threaten them. They stood on the, on the teaching of the apostles. They stood on, on the gospel of grace that had been revealed from the beginning of the Bible. Their feet were firmly planted on it. They were not going to be turned aside one side or the other. They did not buy the hook, line, and sinker that, that somehow in order to be completed in Christ, you had to go back to the Mosaic rite and ritual. No, these mature people had discernment and they could see the Judaizers and these false teachers for who they were. Now, what's the implication by Paul's addressing those who are mature? When he says, I'm in the wrong book, no wonder I can't find it. There we go. When he says, let us, as many as are mature or perfect, have this attitude, he is implying that there are many in the church who are in fact immature and vulnerable, who are easily deceived and distracted. There are many who are, who are like children who are just captivated with the latest thing. And the thing about children, and you know this, is that children don't think they're immature. Children don't think they're children. Children don't think they're naive. Children don't think they're susceptible. So don't sit there and be secure in your own seat thinking, well, I don't think this about myself. Of course you don't. Nobody likes to be thought a child. Every child wants to grow up and do it myself. And I've got this. I don't need you. Just hand me the chainsaw. I'm ready to go, Dad. No. Paul says, and he is confronting really in, in some way, those who are mature, those who are captivated and want to go back again to the infancy of the law. The law had its place and its time and its purpose. But to go back there from the gospel of grace was to revert to something that was immature, And there were some, for whatever reason, who wanted to go back to putting their confidence in their flesh, who wanted to go back to self-reliance, who wanted to go back to a self-righteousness. Some who did not have the faith or the fortitude to stand, and as we can tell in this text, apparently many of them walked away from the faith, and that broke Paul's heart. If you look down at verse 18, he says, many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping. And that's a strong word for weeping. Paul was sorely grieved over the reality. And it is a reality if you've been in this church for any length of time. You know names and you know people. And it's a heartbreak, isn't it? They no longer profess Jesus Christ as Lord. They no longer walk in a pattern according to the gospel. They no longer are faithful to Christ. Listen, friends, apostasy is a real thing. To walk away from the faith is a real threat. And you never want to grow. Yes, you can be assured of your faith, but you never want to grow so cocksure and confident in your faith that you say in pride, I don't really have to pay attention because that could never happen to me. The numbers are legion who thought that way. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. Why? Lest he fall. You see, we're listening to Paul and we're listening very carefully to him because what Paul has to say here is, a, is about a real threat, a grave concern, and the mature Christian stands firm in the faith, resting in the grace of God, putting no confidence in the flesh, and he does it today and he will do it tomorrow. So Paul here looks back to all that he said, really from, verses, from verse 7 on, and he says, look, I'm calling the mature among you, the true believers, those who are grounded in the truth, those who have learned by way of training to live in the truth, here, beloved, is what you need to, to, to hang on to. He says, I want you to fix your mind completely on the things that I've been saying about moving onward and upward in the Christian faith in the pursuit of sanctification. Do you think about sanctification? 
Do you think about it often? Do you understand what God has saved you to? You see, Paul's saying we need to think in a certain way. We need to be very conscious about this. You're to have a certain mindset. You say, I don't, I don't see the word mind in there. Where is mind? Well, when he says have this attitude, literally he's saying think this way. Have this mind. Have your thought life governed by a certain perspective. And this is something, beloved, that every last one of us should be our pursuit. And therefore, not only are we pursuing it as individuals, but we're pursuing it what? Corporately. We're together on this jog. Jog's the wrong word. We're together on this run. We're together in this race. He says, you keep your mind fixed on this. Here is the attitude you're to have. This is not a fleeting thought. This is not a brief musing when time allows. No, you have this attitude. You set your mind. You be governed by these principles. What are those principles? Well, look, we put no confidence in the flesh. Amen? Amen. We put no confidence in the flesh. We count all that self-righteous attainment stuff as, as dung. It's, it's rubbish. We're willing to give up anything and everything in our pursuit of Christ. Anything that hinders us, we will put it aside. We will, with Paul, seek to gain Christ and to be found in him, to be justified. We will, with Paul, seek to know Christ experientially and to grow in him continually and progressively as we're sanctified into his likeness. Like Paul, we aim at one thing, not six, not five, not three, and not 21. Paul says, I have one thing that I focus on. And like a runner, what do I do? I forget what lies behind, whatever it is. And I reach forward to the finish line. I press on to the upward call of Christ. He says, you keep those things at the forefront of your thinking. It would be a good day if in the culture of this church, one of the common questions that was asked was, brother, sister, how you doing in the race? You still pressing onward? You still pressing upward? You remember what the aim is? Yeah, it's to be like Christ, right. It's to be holy like Christ. It's to love like Christ. It's to suffer against, as we battle temptation like Christ. It is to grow in every way into the likeness of our Savior. This is our pursuit. One commentator gave just a crystal clear summary. He said, Paul has come to the settled conviction that he must be found in Christ by faith and that he must grow in the knowledge of Christ in his earthly experience and that he must make progress in likeness to Christ until he sees the Lord. Did you catch those three things? Found in Christ, growing in the knowledge of Christ and making progress in the likeness to Christ. This is the one thing that Paul has set before himself. This is what's on his mind as he runs those long miles of the Christian life. He hasn't arrived at perfection, but he's growing toward it. And as we said last week, the man, the mature man, never rests on yesterday on his spiritual laurels. He doesn't bask in glory days. He presses on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says one of, frankly, the most comforting things that, that I can imagine. Maybe you've... You've been here the last couple of weeks and you've heard the kinds of things, the, the pace with which Paul runs and the, the, the determination and the, the, the fact that he is making a path, the, the shortest distance he can between two points. He is, he is pursuing the Lord's course with all that he has. And you, you've sat there and you said, man, I, I hope I'm getting this. This sounds intense. This sounds like maybe something I haven't thought a lot about. Here's some comfort from God's mouth to your ears. Look at it. Let us therefore, verse 15, as many as are mature or perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, let me translate that into the vernacular. If you don't get it, God will reveal that to you also. Do you remember what chapter 1 and verse 6 said? 
For I am confident of this very thing that he, he who began a good work in you will complete it, will perfect it. There's our word again. Until the day of Christ Jesus. He's taking you all the way to the finish line. Beloved, do you see the promise in this text? Do you worry that you're too naive and too immature to, to, to know how to follow Paul and to do what Paul's calling us to do here? Are you worried that, that you just aren't sure about how to conform your life to Christ's likeness. Hear the text. If you don't get it, if you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. Amidst all of the call to strive and to stride and to stretch out, Paul assures the Philippian believers yet again, they're going to get there. Those who are truly in Christ, those who are truly Christ's children, God's people, have the added advantage of the help of God in knowing how to finish the course, which is why the Bible talks about you being kept for Christ Jesus. Does that put a smile on your soul? That you indeed will, you're not only called to be an overcomer, but you will in fact be an overcomer. Dave, if you tell everybody this, they'll have no motivation to go out and work hard at being obedient. I'm not worried about it. I know that the Lord has called his children to holiness. He will bring it to pass. And for all who are his, I can take a giant sigh of relief. My concern, beloved, is for those of you who are sitting in our midst who have not come yet all the way to Christ. You've tagged Jesus onto your your lapel as, as your ticket to heaven, but you have no interest in Christ. You have no interest in holiness. You have no longing to be like Jesus or even really with Jesus. You just don't want to be in hell. Well, that's a good thing to want to avoid. To flee from the wrath of God is a good thing. But my good friend, do you see in this text that there is a clarion call? It couldn't be any clearer to grow in Christ's likeness. That you have a goal that you are to be striving for, and it is holiness of life in the likeness of your Savior. Now, how will God reveal it? Well, I'll tell you, he won't do it through any sort of direct revelation from his mouth. He's not going to do it by an angel from heaven, but he's just going to do it in the common ways that we all are tutored by God. He's going to help you in the midst of your daily reading. You're going to encounter things, and the Spirit of God will make things aware to you where you'll say, man, my life doesn't measure up. I'm off the trail there. He he will encounter you in the preaching of his word and there will come perhaps a timely word of admonishment from this pulpit or maybe it will come from one of your brothers or sisters in Christ he will give you examples who will challenge you to greater commitment he will even bring trials and really difficult circumstances into your life to accomplish his ends James says that we're to rejoice, doesn't he, in trials? Why? Because it is those trials that produce teleos in us, maturity. I never know if it's maturity or maturity, and and rather than being tied up about it for the rest of this message, I'm just going to call it maturity. Ah, there we go. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. I say that to affirm the maturities out there who, who feel like I'm saying it wrong. You can let it go at this point and you can admonish me later. Chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you see what he's saying again? This is a this is, a, this is a run that cannot be run in impurity. We're to put those things off. That's the goal. 
Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, you're going to know difficulty in striving against sin in this life, and you're going to know the difficulty of being opposed by non-believers. You're going to know what it is to be persecuted in this life. I don't want you to grow weary. I don't want you to fall away from the race. I want you to keep your eyes on the one who ran it perfectly so that you will not lose heart. He says, you've not resisted yet to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you're reproved by him. Don't blow it off. Don't call it too much. Boy, this is, this is just one that should be underlined and on the fridge. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges Every son whom he receives, you know what the scourge is, that cat of nine tails embedded with glass and metal and stone that would be used to, to flay the back of somebody about to be crucified. It would rip and it would tear. God is committed to your holiness. But follow the reasoning in this, beloved, and it should just secure your soul. It is for discipline, for that training that you endure, and God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's a rhetorical question. If you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you understand the word all here means that every believer has in fact become a partaker of the discipline and training of God. He says if you're not a partaker of that discipline, then you're an illegitimate child, and you're not a son. I remember my dad once saying to me after a basketball practice where things went awry between the two of us, I was unhappy with something that he had corrected me on. And he said to me when we got in the car afterwards, he said, something seems to be bothering you. I said, yeah, something's bothering me. You said this to me, and you said that to me. And I whined. He waited and he said to me, Dave, it's when I stop talking to you that you know I don't care. But I want you to look at the instruction I'm giving to you as a demonstration of my love for you, my desire for you to progress as a player. You see, that's, that's what this is saying. Look, if, if, you don't, if, if, if God is not your heavenly father, if you are not a son of God, then God really doesn't take much interest in trying to wean you from anything. You're just given over to your sin. But as a Christian, it will never be that way for you. And so he says, furthermore, we had earthly fathers, think about it, to discipline us, and we respected them Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Or are we really going to grow grumpy with God because he's trying to conform us into the image of Christ? Are we going to protest at the hard things he brings into our life to change us and to grow us? He knows us intimately. He knows you intimately. He knows exactly what you need. And that circumstance that you've been whining about and complaining about and you're kind of grumpy with God about, listen, He's brought that to you. He's ordained that for your good, for your growth. The right question to be asking is not, Lord, why am I suffering through this? But, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? For they disciplined us for a short time. That is our, heaven, our, our earthly fathers, as seemed best to them, but... God disciplines us, here's the goal, my friends, for our good, so that you may share in his holiness. You see, that's the aim of God, that you would share in his holiness. That's why he saved you. The Bible's honest. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. 
Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness. Do you see the aim of God again in your life? It's righteousness. But righteousness only comes to the children who don't buck against it. Instead, they're trained by it. They're, they're, they're willing to receive it, and they, they, they embrace what God is accomplishing in their lives. And so the writer of the Hebrews then calls them, look at strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. In other words, repent and get with the program. Embrace what God is accomplishing in your life. And he says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Here's another one to underline. The sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. This is another reason why we reject that concept of the carnal Christian because the carnal Christian doctrine denies everything that we've been talking about for the last 10 minutes. You must be sanctified. if you're to see heaven. There is no such thing as just punching a ticket to heaven and remaining apathetic and disinterested in Christ and in Christ's likeness and in holiness. That just isn't the way God has wired things. If I could put it this way, the Lord is determined not only to give you eternal life, but he is determined to raise you right and to bring you up in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. And he's going to bring you up in the likeness of his son. And beloved, I hope that as you see the discipline of God exacted in your life, that you will see that God is in fact fulfilling the very thing that Paul is speaking of in this passage when he says if you don't understand it and if you're, if you're off the path, if you're possessing a different attitude, if you're distracted like a child by things that, that ultimately are not fruitful, understand that God will take it personally to instruct you in the way. Man, that is just really helpful. You stop quoting R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur, and those two men are faithful, and they have brought us many benefits. Yes? Yes. But what do we end up doing? We end up seeing that, you know what, there's something else going on behind that, greater than that. John MacArthur was being used of the Lord to preach his word in such a way that God himself is personally instructing me in spiritual growth. Man. That's not like I found the right guy on the radio. It's like God found me through that guy. And that is personal. That is intimate. That is being God taught. And God is going to teach you. You're an adopted child of an attentive and a faithful father who will make it plain to you where you're falling short and where you need to grow. He is over the timing and all of that. And he will encourage your growth. And your task really is to humbly receive all that he wants to accomplish in you. You can trust him, beloved. You can trust him to teach you along the way. Well, that was a long point one. Just as you aim at growth and being maturity-minded, there's a second thing, there's a second directive in the pursuit of Christian maturity, and it is this. Verse 16, it is to stay the course. You need to aim at growth. You also need to stay the course. And Paul says in verse 16, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we've attained. It might make more sense if I just gave it to you literally out of the Greek. Nevertheless, to that which we have attained by the same walk. Just as you got here, By that same path and in that same fashion, keep on keeping on. Keep pressing forward. Don't go back. Don't turn aside to a different gospel. The the verb here, uh, uh, this idea of of living by that same standard is, is a military term that means to walk in line, to walk in row, to walk in a cadence. In other words, we are together keeping in step, we are marching according to one standard and we don't deviate from it. And Paul, of course, again, is speaking about that standard of the gospel of grace. 
That's why the warnings in verse 2 about the dogs and the evil workers and the false circumcision, those that are going to seek to turn you away from the, the only true way. I am the way, Jesus says, not the law. It's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't deviate from that. He doesn't want these precious saints to be drawn away from the true gospel. And that pattern laid out, and we're just going to take a second to do this, but flip to the left to the book of Galatians in chapter 1. Paul's writing to churches who are also encountering these Judaizers. Chapter 1 and verse 6. We saw this last week. I'm amazed, Paul says, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which there really is not another, only that there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, he is to be accursed. What's Paul saying? Stay the course. You came to Christ through the true gospel. Don't abandon that path. Look over at chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, verse 1, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was portrayed publicly as crucified? I preached Christ crucified. That's what I preached. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit? Were you saved, in other words, by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer to that question is you're saved by hearing with faith, not by law-keeping. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now going to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, or does he do it by hearing with faith? You see, you started on that road. That was the standard by which you stood and were saved. It was through the Holy Spirit and by faith in the true gospel that you were saved. Don't be turned aside. Keep living by that same standard. Chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Here we are again. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that yoke. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And if I testify again, to, I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. You're on a different path. Look at verse 7. He says, you were running well. You see, here's the race imagery again. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I'll tell you what, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. There is a call, and it is onward, and it is upward according to the gospel of grace. It is not by your works. Don't be dissuaded. Don't turn aside. That is Paul's point. You've started down the right way. Keep at it. Despite the hardships, despite the persecution, despite the suffering, despite the pressure of this road, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. Keep running. Always forward, never back. And beloved, we are often given to new paths and better ways and easier roads and new insights. One of the best things somebody ever said to me, and I will say it yet again to you because it sticks, but if it's new, it is not true. It is not true. We walk in old, well-worn paths. One of the wonders of walking through the, the Sierra is that there's the John Muir Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail, and they, they stretch across that glorious piece of God's handiwork but when you're up there, the trail that's had so many people over the generations walking across it gradually gets worn down. And then in the winter when the snow runs off, it runs down that same trail, even cutting it deeper. And sometimes you're walking in a three-foot trench. Paul says, stay in the trench. 
Don't deviate in any way, shape, or form. You're committed to this. Stay at it. So we seek to grow. We stay on the path. We run the very course that God has called us to. And third, we follow good runners. That is the third piece of advice. You want to be a good runner? Follow good runners. You want to grow in anything in this life, the best thing you can do is find someone who knows how to do it well and attach yourself to them. Ask questions, do what they do, imitate them. This is what God has given to us as believers in the church so that we might grow in sanctification. He's calling the Philippians to godly imitation. Look at it. Verse 17, brethren. Here it is again, Paul being affectionate. Brethren, join in following my example. He's writing to his spiritual siblings in the faith, and he has all the affection of Christ for them. And he says, I know what I'm saying to you might be confusing in some ways. Maybe, you, maybe it's not all spelled out in, in, in the details, and the T's aren't yet crossed, and the I's aren't dotted. But one thing you can do, one of the best things you can do, is you can fix your eyes on me, and you can follow me. You follow my example. It's interesting, isn't it? He's writing from prison, and yet they know enough about Paul and about, about his life and about his teaching that he wants to give them something concrete to follow. You know that. You know the sense, don't you, that when you've been you've got to find a house and you don't really know how to get there. And somebody starts in on the directions and they're telling you to take a left at the big tree and a right at Starbucks and, and then you're going to make a mild left, but it's not the extreme left, it's just the gradual, the gradual bend in the road. There's an oak tree there. And they start telling you this and within 30 seconds, you're just completely bamboozled and, and, and somebody comes into the conversation and says, I've been there, just follow me. Man, I just go, oh, now my task has become so much easier. I just got to keep my eyes on their brake lights and, and stay tight. Might have to run a traffic light, but I, you know what I mean. You, you got to stay on their tail. This is Paul. And this tells us, right, we know this. You don't come out of the spiritual womb knowing how to live the Christian life. This thing isn't that intuitive You've got to be taught this progressively from the word of God and you've got to have your eyes open to learn the things that, that we might not understand intellectually but we can see in somebody else. How many things have you learned by watching other believers? Account them today, maybe over lunch. It'd be a good question. Who's been a spiritual example to you and how? You see the generosity of someone that challenges your own stingy heart, Right? And that teaches you something about our rich God who so generously impoverished himself, Christ did, that we might be made rich. You experience grace and forgiveness when you sinned against someone seriously and they receive you and accept you in genuine Christian forgiveness. And you go, man, I've never forgiven anybody who's ever sinned against me like I sinned against them. And you learn Maybe you watch how somebody else walks through unimaginable loss and pain in steady faith, how they cast themselves on God rather than run from him in trouble. They go towards him, and you see that, and you learn from them. And it might have even been 10 years ago, but you draw on that experience. How could they do it? How could their son walk from the faith? How could their brother commit suicide? How could they lose a child and yet still bless the name of God? How did Job do it? Naked I came into this world. Naked I'm leaving. I'm not going to curse his name. Blessed be God who gives and takes away. How did he do it? You see, we can learn from others those things. You listen to somebody who's bold and unabashed and compassionate and respectful in preaching the gospel and you say, man, do I wish I could learn to do that like that? Sometimes you bump into somebody's self-discipline and their, their godly habits and you say, man, you read how much? 
how often? You pray, huh, that much? Tell you what, that's convicted my heart. You, you, you hear someone pray who has callous knees, who spent a lot of time in the closet, who knows their God, and it's humbling. And you realize that person knows the Lord in ways that I'm still, I'm too far away. <laughs> Paul says, you know what, Philippians, you see my life and you hear my perspective and you know the pattern after which I live. You be like me, you do what I do. And that's not pride in Paul's life because he had effectively learned how to follow who? Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul says. Imitation is a way to spiritual growth, one of God's primary ways. That's why it's so critical, beloved, to be in a real church with real people, with shepherds that you can touch and you can see and you can meet with, with brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithful, not only to attend on occasion, but they're here Sunday by Sunday and they will rub up against you during the week. We need each other. Digital pastor will never do it. Cyber church will never be a thing. Oh, it'll be a thing, but it will never be the thing that God designed it to be. Don't fall into that pattern. Well, we need to wrap up, and I'm going to close, really. We'll leave 18 and following. I just want you to see the rest of this verse. Follow Paul. Paul says, follow me. But I want you to see this, and this is so vital for us, even this morning. He says, you join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. In other words, what's he saying? There are others who run well. I'm not the only example you you have. This is broader than just follow me. I'm not your guy. In fact, I don't believe any believer should have any singular guy who is their guy. We are called to look for those who are mature in the church, and we are called to get on their heels and to follow them. Paul says, I want you to observe those. That verb is the same noun we had back in verse 14, scopeo, scope. He's saying, look, you keep your eye carefully trained on a certain group of people. Just as he said back in verse 14, it was that goal that we were to keep our eye on. You get the picture. I don't know. I, I, all I can get is a chameleon in my head. They've got those funky eyes that do weird things. But, but Paul is in essence saying, look, you keep one eye focused on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and you keep your other eye fixed on those runners who are ahead of you, more mature than you, further down the road than you, more godly than you, and you imitate their example. No way, dude, the Lord loves me. He saved me. I don't need other people. But Paul says you do. And when Paul says you do, God says you do because Paul wrote what he wrote by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, take it on the word of God. You and I both need people in our lives that we can see godliness exemplified who will stretch us and help us run the race. Back in chapter 2, Paul already commended Paul and, I'm sorry, Timothy and Epaphroditus as faithful men who should be emulated. Listen to, these are just three examples out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6.11, we desire that each of you show the same diligence to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see the call to imitation? You heard earlier when I read Hebrews 12 about that great cloud of witnesses, which is referring back to chapter 11, the hall of faith, where we are given 
essentially a whole bunch of biblical characters to look to so as to model and pattern our lives after what it means to live the life of faith, how to pursue the heavenly kingdom. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God to you. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. You've heard their teaching. Take a look at their conduct. Are the two commensurate? Do they live what they preach? Not perfectly, but well. Do they stand as those who are above reproach? Then if so, follow them. Imitate them. Keep after them. Get on their heels. That's the call. Beloved, you should be endeavoring to run well. And imitation will help you do that. Which is why you need the church. Which is why you need to be more than just here. You also need to be in relationship with one another. We've been called into fellowship. It's not just attending and taking up a seat. It's actually knowing people and being known so that you can follow those who lead godly lives and so that you might be an example to those who are behind you. You see, you have to, you have to get engaged. And I, I'm going to throw one other plug in there, and every librarian will be happy I did this, but you really ought to be reading about the saints of old who've gone before. Biographies have been written, and rarely, they're my favorite book to read. I'd much rather read that than some fantasy about something that somebody dreamed up about somewhere and, I don't know, maybe we can pin a bunch of biblical characters on them. Listen, give yourself to the stuff that will help you make progress in this life. Know your Bible and know people who know how to both, they know the truth and they live the truth. And you can read a biography and you'll be challenged. It helps you to get out of your own culture. Before the days when people had cell phones, and you begin to go, oh, that's what they did with their time. No wonder they knew more of their Bible than I did. No wonder they saw more people converted to Christ than I did. I'm so bent on, on being entertained all the time. I don't really do much by way of the Christian life, but thank God I'm going to heaven. No, we're called to a race. You've heard that before, I know. All right. What do we take from the Apostle Paul? There's a purpose for which Christ saved you. He saved you from sin and unto righteousness. Paul has already told us that, frankly, back in chapter 1. In verse 10, that he wants us to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's the goal. That's the purpose. We should understand that we're not there yet. We have not arrived. We should understand that all true Christians are in fact those who press on to know Christ and be conformed to his likeness. We should understand that we're after one thing, and that is to be like our Savior. That is our goal. That is our end. And in order to do that, we must forget what's behind, reach towards what's ahead, and we must press on in this goal. And as we do it, We've got to aim at that growth and that maturity. We've got to stay the course. We've got to fix our eyes on that narrow path that Christ has blazed for us. And in order to get help in doing that, what? We learn from one another. We learn to follow godly examples. We run this race together. And of course, the godliest of all examples, the perfect example, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So as we come to the table this morning, I want to put these verses before you again. Hebrews chapter 12. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's really what this table is about. It is to remember him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down 
at the right hand of God. Let's give our attention to the Lord. Let us remember him. Let's bring our sins before him. Let's confess whatever it is that he has put on your heart to confess and let's come to receive again the reminder of his cross work and resurrection on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pursue holiness of life. Pursue it individually and let us encourage one another all the more to stay at it. By this we know that we have come to know him. We keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought also to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Walk after Christ today. Grace to you.